Welcome to the Hello Well Podcast. I'm your host, Danae Johnson, and today we're talking about body image. We are talking about the shame around our bodies and sex. We're talking about disordered eating, chronic dieting, and giving you tips on how to learn to love and embrace your beautiful body, girl. I am joined by the lovely Summer Inanin, who is a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, body positivity, self-worth, and confidence. She helps women all over the world to stop living behind the numbers on their scales through her private and group coaching at summerinanin.com. She's also the best-selling author of the Body Image Remix and host of Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering women to live on their own terms. Without further ado, here she is, Summer Inanin. Hi, Danae. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to connect with me. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so let's jump right in. I'm just so excited to connect with you because I've been listening to your podcast. I've read your book. I follow you on social media. And I just think that what you're doing for women right now is just so important. And um, yeah, you're amazing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. So for obviously the listeners out there who don't know exactly what you do, can you kind of just maybe walk us through a little bit what you do with ladies? Yeah, sure. So I'm a professionally trained life coach, but I specialize in helping women with body image, self-worth and confidence and helping them to change the beliefs they have about themselves as it relates to what their body size means and just what it means to be a female. You know, I think that so many women are trying to strive for this illusion of the female ideal or the perfect woman, quote unquote. And what it's doing is just making us exhausted, making us hate ourselves and making us, making us feel like we're not good enough. And so helping women to change those beliefs and start to accept their whole selves and know that they are good enough just as they are and develop and have a solid identity in in who they are outside of their body and their appearance and helping them to change their relationship with health and what that means to them and with food and with movement so that they can just live a badass life and know that they are good enough in who they are and in their skin and know that body sizes change but that doesn't have any reflection on their worthiness as a person so that's really the nuts and bolts of what mm-hmm. I do in my coaching practice and, and how I help and how I help women. In a nutshell. Yeah. In a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so challenging for I think all probably every woman out there can relate to that at you know, in some way. Feels like we're kind of set up to uh, be at war with ourselves, the way the images and everything were shown in social media and just this obsession with trying to chase the perfect body and try to chase youth when inevitably we're all aging. We're all getting older and, uh, you know, none of us are going to look like we did in our 20s forever. Yes, that is for sure. <laughs> that is for, and as I crossed over the threshold of 40 last year, I know that. 
yeah. bodies change and looks change and yeah, striving to you know live up to that ideal really just it steals our time, it steals our energy, and it steals our money and and keeps reinforcing this sense that we're not good enough. I'm really curious to hear your personal journey with this. Were you somebody who always had a great relationship with your body, or can you kind of no. maybe walk us through your personal journey with this? Sure. So uh, my story is probably similar to a lot of people's. I grew up never really feeling good in my body. Like, I I don't really remember a time, maybe when I was, like, very, very little, that I felt good in my skin. I was always really self-conscious, and I was bullied a lot for my body. I had an older brother that was just terribly cruel to me growing up, and um, my mom was a chronic dieter. And so the combination of those things and living in the culture that we live in that makes us believe that thinner is better really just set me up to feel like I wasn't good enough and I hated I hated my body and um, I thought that the only way to feel confident and comfortable in my skin was to lose weight and and change my body and so I started to dabble with dieting when I was I don't even know like 12 or 13 years old and it progressively got worse as I got into high school and then into my 20s I just became more and more obsessed with I'm putting this in quotation marks, like nutrition and mm. <laughs> and exercise. Uh, but really, it was just like this constant pursuit of weight loss and trying to make myself look different. And it got to a point where I was just obsessed with food and obsessed with exercise and constantly beating myself up for everything I ate and trying to control everything I ate and um, never being satisfied with my body size and like weighing myself like just multiple times a day. And it was really this obsession that occupied so much of my time, so much of my mental space, so much to the point that like I even quit my corporate job and went back to school to be a nutritionist because I thought like really in my mind, I was like, no, I'm doing this because it's healthy and it's all about health. And later, you know, when I really peeled back the later layers, it was like, no, this is really all about me trying to just feel comfortable with who I am and going after it the wrong way. And and so, um, you know, things got pretty bad in terms of my um, exercise addiction and just the, the extent to which I was restricting food, which you could call we're just having a very disordered relationship with food. I never had like a full-blown eating disorder or anything like that. Um, and my health started to suffer as a result. And so I went to see doctors because I just wasn't feeling so good. And I was also gaining weight, even though I was still dieting and I couldn't figure that out. And I finally, finally came to a doctor that looked at what I was eating and what I was doing. And she was like, you are, you know, running yourself into the ground here. Like the Mm. problem is the restriction and the over-exercising. That's, that's what's really causing all these health issues. And I was more upset in that moment that she wanted me to lay off my chronic exercise than I was about the fact that my hormones were the same as a postmenopausal woman at the age of 30. So uh, that was my wake-up call moment, you know, when I was like, what am I doing to myself here? Like, I actually have a problem. And um, and that's when I realized that the crux of this, like the, the real issue that was causing this whole cycle was the way that I felt about my body. And, uh, and so really started to work on my body image and 
in conjunction with that is always just self-worth and and detaching our sense of our sense of self-worth from our appearance and so just did a ton of work on that and really accepted my body and I had to gain weight through that process of healing um, and I was able to accept that and feel a million times better with who I am and in my body even though it's in a, lar- a larger body than it was before and that's what inspired me to change my nutrition practice and shift gears and really start to teach intuitive eating and go and take different life coaching certifications to start to work with people around the confidence and self-worth and changing beliefs and knowing who they are and all the all the work that I did to to help me in in my journey and so yeah that's a bit of a longer version of the story you got the whole version of the story there (laughs) thank you for sharing that with us so you were about 30 years old when that happened when you kind of got that reality check yes I was you know lucky for me that it was then but also you know sometimes I work with clients who are younger than that and I'm like oh you're so lucky that you figured it out now Mm -hmm. a lot of my clients are actually in their 40s and um even upwards of 50 and even higher than that and they're just they're just figuring it out now like just kind of opening their eyes to it and it's never too late to do this work so i know personally as somebody who has also had a lot of these struggles my whole life and have been working and chipping away at it my whole life for me this has been definitely a gradual evolution of like learning to have a better relationship with my body have a very different relationship with food it sounds like this transition for you happened pretty quickly no I would say it was it was certainly gradual it it, it took time because the beliefs that I have about food nutrition exercise, my body were so deeply ingrained, Mm -hmm. you know, like that was like my religion, so to speak. And so to, to unlearn that and to open my eyes and really learn about health at every size and the impact of weight cycling on body size and set point theory and all these things that are covered in like health at every size. And I kind of like dipped my toe into it and it was a gradual process. I didn't just like in one fell swoop say, that's it. I'm just going to eat what I want. Um, I was really terrified. And so it took, it took me some time to really dabble with those things and, and make that transition, which I think is pretty, pretty common for people because there's so much fear involved with making that change. Yeah. Do you think that a woman can fully, fully make that complete switch? I remember, you know, seeing an eating disorders counselor when I was in high school myself. And I remember my eating disorder counselor saying to me that she too had struggled with an eating disorder and that it was her belief that a woman never really fully is able to fully overcome something like that. That little voice is always kind of there in the back of your head a little bit. So I, I'm not an expert on eating disorders, so I'm going to kind of talk about this just from what I've seen. But mm. I think that like a, when you have like a diagnosed eating disorder, the voice is is different than just having like a disordered relationship with food that you've learned from diet culture. Right. Um, it's there's definitely like more of like a biological component to it, like in genetic component to it. So, and I'm talking about this from, as someone who's not an expert in mm-hmm. it. So, um, so I think perhaps in those cases, it is something that you perhaps have to be aware of that it may never go away. I think that in, you know, with the clients that I work with who are, who are chronic dieters and perhaps people who have gone through like eating disorder recovery, but they're just kind of finding like they're not 100% recovered. Right. Um, that the voice is, I think it goes away. I think that sometimes it'll come back, but it's not, it doesn't have the power over you. Like, mm-hmm. like I will, I can never forget how many zone blocks are in a handful of almonds. Like I can never forget that. Like I'll right. always remember 
how many grams of protein are in an ounce of chicken because like mm. I was so brainwashed, right? Yeah. Like I can't forget that. But like that doesn't come into any of my decisions. So I don't know if that's answering your question. I guess like mm-hmm. the the odd time, like sometimes those thoughts will pop up, but they have zero power over me. And so I think um, with anyone, it's totally possible to reclaim the power a hundred percent. That being said, I think for a lot of us, like dieting is a coping mechanism and hating our body is a coping mechanism. And it's a way that we deal with emotional discomfort in our lives. So when our lives feel chaotic, maybe it's because of a stressful event that we're going through, or we're just feeling really powerless and out of control. Dieting gives us a sense of control. It gives us like this feeling of power. And mm-hmm. so what I'll often see with clients is they, they kind of go back to that diet mentality or they go back to fixating on their body during times of chaos and stress or crisis and trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've even experienced that myself. But it again, it's like it doesn't have the power that it used to. And so I think that that's the big differentiating factor. Very interesting. I uh, obviously am following you because this is personally something that I've struggled with my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, like I said, I've chipped away at it so much. I've done lots of counseling, you know, and I as well didn't have a full-blown eating disorder, just, you know, I would say disordered eating. But I find it very challenging now as a woman in my 30s to fully, fully make that switch. You know, how do you fully make that switch when our society is still constantly reinforcing that so much of a woman's value is in what she looks like? Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's like a lot of different layers to to it to, mm-hmm. to really make that switch. But the first one is to, to start to really follow and listen to people who challenge that. Like a way to form new beliefs is to really immerse yourself in the belief system that you want that's going to be the most supportive for you. Mm. So, you know, unfollowing anyone that is talking about diets and making you feel bad about yourself, making you criticize your body or think about your body in a negative way and following people who are promoting a fat positive message and who are showing body diversity and, uh, you know, listening to podcasts that really promote anti-dieting and going to the science of it. It's not just this woo-woo idea of intuitive eating. It's like there's science behind Mm -hmm. all of this stuff. And when you immerse yourself in that, it is possible to, you know, protect yourself as best you can from the messages that we're getting, which I know we can't be 100% protected from, but to try and eliminate, like, all the diet culture stuff that we're getting and really immerse yourself in the, like, anti-diet message so to speak, and body positive message, it, that's that's the first step, and that can make a, a huge difference. And then second to that is really getting to the root of the shame within yourself, which I think can be really hard for people. And depending on who you've worked with, like perhaps you haven't explored it or haven't found tools that are the best in terms of helping you to really overcome that shame. And strengthening your resiliency and voice of compassion to any of the negative thoughts that you have. When we've spent, like, the majority of our lives being negative towards ourselves, we can't expect that to switch over quickly. We have to really be intentional about building up our compassionate self-talk, treating ourselves with kindness, treating ourselves with respect and compassion in order to strengthen that voice within us. And so... Sometimes the answer is 
maybe it's like it needs a little more time, it needs patience. Sometimes it's maybe a different like coach or somebody else could like help you better, or, like see a bigger switch with it. Maybe like there's some, some somewhere in there you're not getting to the root of it. Mm-hmm. But the first and biggest thing is really changing the messages that you're receiving and immersing yourself in stuff that's going to support the beliefs that you want to have. Yeah, that makes total sense. So who is your kind of ideal client? Who are the women that you typically are working with? So typically they are chronic dieters and I would say, you know, generally they're in their like 30s and 40s, although it goes outside that range too. Um, They're chronic dieters that are just sick of it, like sick of being on that cycle of restricting and then binging and sick of feeling inadequate and feeling bad about their body and letting that stop them from living their lives and just occupying their mental space. Like they are just sick of constantly not feeling good enough and judging themselves and comparing themselves to other people. And, um, and they want to not think about that stuff anymore. They want to have time to think about things that are more important in their lives and be a better inspiration for maybe it's their kids or just their nieces and nephews or other people in their lives that they want to have a better impact on. And that's, I mean, that's, that's really who it is who it is. <laughs> That's the majority of who I work with, for sure. It's like ex-chronic dieters or chronic dieters. And they, they have to be so done with it. Like, they're yeah. just done, and they know that it's not the answer, and they don't want to go back to it, and they know that there has to be another way, and they can't see themselves spending another decade of their lives, like, just stuck in this cycle and doing the same thing over and over and over and ending up in the same place where you still hate yourself and you think you're a failure. Mm. And none of that is your fault. Like, that's the biggest thing that I want people to take away. It's like, none of that is your fault. Like you have just been, you've just learned that that is how we're supposed to be and that our purpose in life is supposed to to be to lose weight and that we're all supposed to be thin. And like, that is just not true. Body diversity is a real thing and we're meant to be at different sizes and our body doesn't have to dictate our sense of worth. Amen. Amen. Yes. (laughs) I think this is such a great thing to highlight. You know, so many of us as women feel like we're failures because we've got these unrealistic images and body types that we're trying to live up to and to achieve. And so, you know, the magazines and the media and the people on TV tell us to try the latest fad diet. And so we try it. And then we're not able to stay on it short term or long term because most of these diets are just like really hard to stay on. And so then we beat ourselves up and we go into this shame spiral and we feel like we're the failures. But the truth is we're not the ones that are failing here. It's the diet industry that's making us believe that these things are attainable and achievable. I don't know anybody who stays on any of these fat diets long term. Yeah, exactly. It's I mean, it's harmful. It's that cycle. All it does is chip away at your self-worth and your belief in yourself and increased shame like that's Mm -hmm. all it does every time you start a diet you're basically saying I'm going to start something that's going to make me feel worse about myself ultimately Mm -hmm. you know it starts out really promising and it's really exciting and it um, fires up our dopamine and gets us excited gives us a sense of hope gives us a sense of purpose gives us a sense of community and belonging because everyone else is doing it but Ultimately, we end up in a place where we feel worse about ourselves, we blame ourselves, we feel like failures, we think other people are going to judge, are judging us. And the only way to get out of that cycle is to completely step off of that cycle, like to break it, like to shatter it and get out of that place. Um, 
because the reason why the diet industry is so profitable is because it doesn't work. It's not that we have a personal defect and we can't do it right or that we're just too busy and can't nail our meal planning. Like, it's no, like, our body physically and psychologically will fight back against the signals of restriction. And so it's your body trying to protect you when the diet fails. That's it. Your body's actually doing a good thing for you. It's not that you couldn't get your act together. It's that... Like your body was actually trying to protect you and keep you alive. Totally. And another thing I find about, you know, being on a diet is just how much it gets you to really focus on your body. It gets you to really focus on your appearance. Whereas I feel like for me, when the switch really happened was when I started focusing more on like, who am I as a human being? What do I love to do? What am I passionate about? And started taking more of the focus away from my body and more into like, who am I as a human being? Yes, <laughs> you know? yes, exactly. Yes, which is like so much of what I do when I'm working with people because when you have a solid sense in who you are and the, the qualities that you offer this world and know that about you, like the your appearance doesn't matter so much. And, and if you think about it, like I, I understand this is like a, can be a morbid conversation for people, but no one at your funeral is going to be standing up there saying that what was so great about you was your body. Like, Mm. at least I hope not, you know? So Um, true. Like, no one else values you for that in your life. At least I hope no one special to you values you for that in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, But the people who really matter to you value you for who you are. Mm -hmm. And it's about valuing yourself for who you are and having um, a life and an identity outside of the food that you eat and outside of the diet that you're on and outside of your body size. That's exactly it. As you said. So true. I will be totally honest and completely vulnerable here and say that I have noticed in my journey that I have definitely gone on roller coasters with it. You know, I've gone through periods where I was really, really good. My last partner that I was with, he was so amazing and just encouraging me for loving myself for the person that I am. And then, you know, I found when that relationship ended and I became single again for the first time in a number of years. I noticed a lot of that old programming coming up and feeling like honestly kind of insecure and wondering if I was still going to be appealing to the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. If I'm not a certain size, if I'm not putting a lot of time and effort and energy into looking the way that society has told me that I should look to be attractive. I just I really noticed for me, I thought that I had overcome a lot of that. And I think I feel pretty darn good about myself and my relationship with myself and my body when it's just me. But I've I've personally noticed that that trigger is still there when it comes to being single and attracting the opposite sex, because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of this old programming does stem a little bit back to like the patriarchy and women were supposed to just be physically appealing for men. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. It's in our DNA to be, to be likable. Like women were, you know, property (laughs) of men. And like our, our survival was dependent on our desirability. And so that is coded into our DNA. And so I think that it is one of the more vulnerable and difficult times to build acceptance and really break free from that conditioning when we are seeking out a partnership or or relationship. Because it's just so hardwired and you are also dealing with other people like often if you know if we're talking about like a hetero relationship then you know you're dealing with a man who is totally 
conditioned in their own way. And it puts you in a more vulnerable spot because it sets you up to potentially be rejected or judged. And so I think that like, yeah, it's totally common to for those struggles to pop up or to be more significant when you are seeking out uh, when you're single and looking for other relationships. And the way that dating happens now with like dating sites and stuff, it is so visual mm-hmm. and um, people can just go and like look at your picture and that's how they're judging you. Exactly. Uh, and so I think that it's, it's tough to get around it. That's, that's hard. You know, the advice that I sometimes give to clients in that situation is to try to like treat it like a fun experiment Mm. like to really go into it with an attitude of like I'm the one with the power here like they have to prove to me that they're good enough to me like why do we feel like we have to prove that we're good enough for them and so to try and reframe it when you are going through that like if it's like whether it's a first date or just like a conversation that's happening with a potential date you know put yourself in a situation that where you have the power and you're like is he good enough for me instead of am I good enough for him because Mm. like so often I think that's how we're feeling like we're going into it thinking am I good enough or they gonna think I'm attractive and like screw that like, yes are you know are they good enough for you yes. and really uh, you know I use I use the reframe or the a framework of like trading it like an experiment because I think you try to, I want people to like take the outcome out of it because I think a lot oftentimes like the, we go into it thinking like oh like this could be my potential partner and like I could have kids with them and like I don't know if that's how you're approaching this at all I'm just <laughs> you know maybe it's not at all because people want relationships for different reasons yeah. um, but you know, to take all that out of it and like, just treat it like an experiment where it's like, what happens if I go in and I hold the power and Mm. like, I go into the situation and I, and I am really the one sitting there thinking, are they good enough for me? Like what changes? And maybe it's that like, you don't have as many dates or like they, they, you know, decide not to follow up with you. Like, but you know what, you're Mm. walking away from it where you are in a position where you still have your sense of authenticity and that where you are not feeling like you lost your power over to them. And I think I feel like I've used the word power about a hundred times. In that. <laughs> I think you get my point. <laughs> no, I really, really like that. I do think for a lot of us, you know, we grew up with the Disney movies that show us as women that we are not happy. Our lives aren't fulfilled until we have a man in our lives. So we bring that expectation and pressure to our dating lives. And when we go out on these dates, a lot of us are expecting to meet Mr. Right or we want to find that husband. And so we're we're already vested, hoping that it's him. But I think if you go into a situation where you already feel good about yourself and you're more interviewing him to see like, yo, is he somebody that I want in my life? And knowing that you don't need him to fulfill you. That's definitely a more equal playing field and just feels like as women, we're coming from a more empowered place. You know, I uh, I look at myself sometimes and I'm frustrated with myself. I say that compassionately, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I feel good enough about who I am as a human being. But that old programming of, I think for me, part of it was like growing up the fat kid and mm-hmm. not getting any male attention when I was the chubby kid growing up. And then when I lost weight, it was totally opposite and I got all the attention. Yeah. So I feel like that old programming is still so deeply ingrained and you know I went to school last year and I put on 
a lot of weight and also I'm getting older. And so it's like, it's unfortunate now that I'm watching myself outside of myself in these romantic interactions where it's like, I know I'm a great person. And I say that modestly, but like, I feel good about who I am as a human being. But the fact that my outward appearance is making me feel, yeah, kind of like insecure, like I'm not in the power position. That makes me feel very sad for myself and for society that I'm sure there are so many of us women who are out there not really feeling as empowered as we should simply because of that brainwashing that we don't look a certain way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. And I think with some of that, like, we have to kind of heal those wounds of the past or acknowledge that we're always going to have those tender, vulnerable spots based on what you experienced Mm -hmm. when you were younger. And uh, this starts to get kind of like, you know, woo-woo. But I love woo-woo, by the way. Bring it. Bring it. (laughs) To, you know, to, like, acknowledge that part of you, like, there's, like, this hurt teenage girl inside of you that felt like the boys were neglecting her. And to think about the fact that she's always going to be a part of you and to try to bring along that part of you. Like, you are in a position now where you get to, like, bring her along and show her differently and and tell her the things that no one else ever told her, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, that's that's one perspective that, that can be helpful there. And then secondly, like... I always call it, you're kind of like, you're in a position where you get to filter out assholes. Like, if yes. someone's going to value you just for your body. That's so true. Then they're not the person, I hope, that you want to be with. So true. Uh, and so, yes, you might get more no's. Like, you, you might get less interest. And, you know, I don't know if this is true for you at all. But, you know, it, it's true that a lot of guys are looking for women who look a certain way because of the way that they've been conditioned. But there are great people out there who will be with someone regardless of their size and who will be with someone in a larger body. And, you know, following people online who have relationships like that, like, like for example, you know, Lindy West comes to mind. Like, she wrote this amazing article that was, I think it was called, like, I was fat on my wedding day or something like Mm. that. Um, And just to give you hope that, like, not everyone is like that. There's a lot of women in larger bodies who are in loving, fantastic relationships where they're valued for for who they are and their partner finds them attractive in a larger body. And so knowing that it, you know, it, it might be harder, but... You're ultimately, when you do find someone, they are going to really value you for who you are and find you attractive in the body that you're in. And that's mm. the best kind of relationship you want. You don't want someone who's only going to love you when you're smaller. No, it's absolutely so true. I think for so many of us, these are our own personal stories and beliefs that we put on ourselves that other people aren't going to accept us um, because maybe we did have that experience being bullied as a child or you had that one experience with a partner that one time, but we are the ones that kind of then project that the rest of the world believes that about us. And that's really not the case. I have lots of girlfriends, you know, who are very curvy and my parents are the same. My mom's always been a curvy girl and my dad, you know, very much so loves her. So I agree. There are lots of men out there who, you know, love and accept curvier women. I think it's more so us as women who need to work on doing the healing and believing that we are still lovable and worthy in the bodies that we're in, no matter what shape we are. Another topic that I'm interested in talking about is 
the the topic of of intimacy and sex and you know I'm single for the first time intimacy is obviously going to come up at some point and once again looking outside of myself analyzing myself I'm like it sucks that I feel like I'm not really going to be able to be fully present and fully be able to fully enjoy sex because I'm not feeling great in my body mm-hmm. and I'm feeling insecure about my body and like just how how sad and frustrating is that that once again a grown woman that I've worked on myself my whole life that that is still there to the point where yeah I don't feel like I'm gonna at this point be able to fully enjoy that kind of intimacy at least to the extent that I would like to because of my own hang-ups with my body yeah well I think that that's like you know it's pretty common for that to be a vulnerable spot for people mm-hmm. and um and you know intimacy can be really vulnerable as well and so you know in that kind of a situation like I just encourage you again to like do what feels best for you but also to work on it now while before the time comes like in terms of getting comfortable with your own naked body and, <laughs> and you know like you yourself like by whether that's like doing photo work with that like privately um Mm. or you know like just there's there's different things that can be that you can do to to change that so that when the time comes yes might still be vulnerable but you're in a better position to just feel more comfortable with with your body yeah I think it was in your book that you're recommending to learn how to bring up that feeling of sexiness all on your own whether it be walking around naked wearing lingerie at home by yourself just like get into that sexy vibe all on your own. Yes, I've said that to people before, for sure. Like, I think that there's this woman I follow on Instagram. Her name's Erin Brown. She's amazing. And, like, she talks about how that's just, like, a part of her self-care is taking nude photos of herself, like, mm. at different angles and how she uses, like, the video function and then takes screenshots of that. And, like, it's, photos can be, like, a really powerful way to to do that. And, uh, and so that might seem like terrifying for some people because they're like oh my god I would hate to see myself like that but um, the purpose is to get to a point where it just starts to feel a little bit more neutral you don't have to love what you see but to just feel more neutral with it and to get in touch with like that that part of yourself like this becomes like a more a conversation about like sex and things like that but um, like becoming more intimate with yourself and like yeah. what you enjoy in your body and things like that and um, and really getting comfortable with your own sexuality I think is is another piece of the equation that can help you overall just feel more empowered in that type of a position. I would fully agree with that. And I got to say, I've been playing around with this recently. I've got so many girlfriends who are like, oh, yeah, I walk around my house naked all the time. And honestly, I was never the person who had like just enough comfort with being in my own body to really do that. But lately, I've been making more of a conscious attempt to kind of get sexual with myself as weird as that sounds um but you know just like yeah strutting around naked putting on some lingerie maybe some sexy music taking photos strutting and dancing in front of the mirror just really like owning my sexuality and empowering myself and I gotta say it feels pretty good I feel like it's working yeah 
Mm-hmm. I know people who have done, like, clients who have done, like, boudoir photo shoots as a way to, like, really make them feel more empowered in that in that way. That can be something. Obviously, they're, you know, they cost a bit of money sometimes. But I've seen some, like, amazing body positive boudoir photographers and the work that they do. And um, that can also be, like, another way to feel more empowered uh, with your body in a more bare sense, so to speak. How do you think, because I can see myself potentially doing something like that, like a full-on boudoir photo shoot and potentially seeing the photos and just analyzing like, oh, there's my cellulite, love handles. How do you go, do you just try and focus on instead like, oh, my cleavage looks really good there. Do you just try and focus on the positive things? Or how would you engage with that? So, okay, so photos are like, there's a lot you can do with photos. Um, I use photos a lot in, in the work that I do with clients. And my advice is like before you even do that, like make that investment, I would just do some photo work for yourself just on an everyday basis. Like take a selfie and start to just look at you in a photo. And so if I were to break it down kind of into steps, it's like take as many photos as you can. If it feels really uncomfortable taking like a full body photo, then start with a body part of yourself that feels like not as scary. So maybe it's just your face. Maybe it's just your hand. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, your whole body. And just make space, like whatever feelings come up, like, and I say feelings, because I think you, you, when you started talking, you went right to thoughts, you were like my cellulite. So I want you to go to your feelings. Like, Mm. what are you feeling when you see that photo? So maybe it's I feel shame, or I feel embarrassed, or whatever that feeling is, and just make space, like when I say make space for it, just let it be there. Just like, I'm feeling shame about this. And then, and try to just kind of sit with that and then look at the photo again. And what feelings come up now? Maybe it's the same. That's totally fine. Maybe it's a little bit more neutral, whatever, just let whatever come up, come up. And then what I would say is look at the photo and try to like really see like, who are you? Like who who are you in that photo? And, you know, who is that woman in that photo? I think is a better way to phrase it. Who is that woman in that photo? Mm. (laughs) That's what I want you to ask yourself, Mm. (laughs) you know? And if it feels kind of negative, then maybe be like, what would like my best friend say about this? Like, what would my best friend say about me here? And I'm kind of glossing over this. Like there's a lot more work that you can do sort of on really feeling the feelings that initially come up and helping to process those and change that narrative. But on a very surface level, like we can use photos to start to change the narrative from criticism to compassion. And compassion is not about being positive. So again, it's not about like, I mean, you can find positive things about yourself in the photo. That's fine. There's nothing bad about doing that. That would be helpful too. But compassion is really about making space for whatever's there. Like this photo is really hard for me to look at. It's making me feel ashamed, but I have to remember that like, my whole self is really what matters. And I know that I am a compassionate person. I'm a kind person. I'm a good friend. I'm a hard worker. You know, like what are the qualities in you that really matter? And that's like, that would be kind of like a narrative of self-compassion that you could use when looking at photos. And the best thing to do is like take more photos and do that, even if it's just like every day. And by doing that, you start to really heal your relationship with photos. And then you can start to take more risks and do like photos where you're wearing less clothes or like full body photos and things like that. And again, the 
the outcome isn't to get to a place where like you love what you see, although that would be awesome. Mm. All I want is for people to get to a place where it's like less emotionally charged and it's just kind of neutral. And it's like, Oh, there I am. There's my body. That's what it looks like. Right. And that's it. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Cause I think if the expectation is like, I want to love it, I want to look at it and be like, Oh, I'm so hot. I'm so sexy. Like, yeah. eh, let's not, let's not like that's, that's a, that's a big leap. Right. Let's just go to like, I'm okay with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not feeling like that gut-wrenching shame that I felt before. Right. And uh, and it really is a practice. Okay, that's a good one. I know we're uh, running short on time, but I did want to ask you one last thing. I feel like cosmetic surgery is becoming such a big thing, you know, with people getting Botox and fillers. And what is your stance on all of that? You know, like I, again, like would never want anyone to feel ashamed for making any decisions like that because, you know, we've all grown up in a culture where we're told, you know, that we need to look a certain way. But I, what I think, or when I'm advising someone, even if it's like related, because people always tie it back to them, like, well, what about like coloring your hair or wearing Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question. Yeah, like all that stuff. Like whatever gives you a sense of agency, like is, is, is good. Like, you know, what it's your body. You get to choose what to do with it. All I would ask you to do is to ask yourself whether it's coming from a place of fear of judgment, fear of rejection, like of a place of inadequacy, or whether you're doing it because you're feeling empowered and this makes you feel good and it's your sense of, like, it's, it's you expressing yourself. It's a form of self-expression. Um, ideally, like, that's where we want to be when we are decorating ourselves, so to speak, or changing ourselves. Um, and I think probably the majority of people are going into cosmetic procedures from the former. So from the perspective of like, I feel inadequate, I'm afraid people are judging me or, you know, I, and so I'm making these changes so that more people will think I'm attractive Mm -hmm. uh, versus like, I am going into this as a way to self-express who I am. Um, You know, like that's, that's how I feel personally about Mm -hmm. like the fact that I bleach my hair or that I put on makeup that I think is a differentiating factor. And I don't think it's like a closed case and black and white, but those are the questions that I would encourage people to ask. And I said to a friend recently, I was like, I feel like everyone who goes in for for plastic surgery needs to meet with like a therapist or a coach before to like Mm -hmm. (laughs) go through this stuff. (laughs) Because I know, I know people who have regretted these things that they did in their 20s and now they're wishing they had never done them. I think about this topic so much. I've had this conversation with so many friends where they're like, no, I'm doing this for me. But it's like if you were born on a deserted island and you didn't receive all this brainwashing, if there weren't people all around, do you think that you would be going and getting Botox and your lips done and breast implants? Yeah. You know, so I find that's and the same thing could be extended into like putting on makeup and coloring our hair. Like, yeah, I agree. It's great to feel empowered and feel good about yourself. But then on the flip side, there is also the other part of me that's like wants to rebel against all of it because I feel like it's all been kind of put into our brains that we need to look that way and do those things to be physically appealing. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think that it's like Melissa Fabello has this quote where she's like, we can wear our bras and burn our bras or something like that. Like, it's it's the same thing. It's like, you know, we're all indoctrinated into it. Like we, we still live in this culture. So, you know, I I mean, all the power to you if you want to like say no to all of it. But I also think that some of it 
you know, we can take reclaim ourselves and use as a form of empowerment for ourselves. And um, and I think that, you know, like for me, that's my hair color. For me, that's shaving my legs. Like mm-hmm. there are certain things that I do that I know are things I've learned and that the way they're socially conditioned. Um, but at the same time, they also make me feel good. And that's mm. important. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I just encourage people to like just, you know, ask themselves the questions like, why are they doing it? And like, you know, the deserted island question that you said is really good, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, we could go on, but we're out of time. So (laughs) thank you for taking the time to chat with us, Summer. Uh, Where can people find you if they're interested in looking you up? Sure. So you can find my website at thebodyimagecoach.com, which will just take you to summerinandin.com if you can't spell (laughs) summerinandin.com. And I have a podcast called Fearless Rebel Radio. I have a book called Body Image Remix. And then all, all that stuff you can find on my website as well as how to work with me in group programs or privately. Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking the time um, and I recommend all the ladies go out and follow you because what you're doing is amazing. Thank you so much. All right. What did you guys think of Summer? Isn't she awesome? I feel like as women, this is a conversation we need to have openly so much more and so as a result, we will definitely be talking about more of this on the Hello Well podcast uh, in the weeks to come. Thanks for the listen. If there's somebody in your life who you feel like this episode would help or impact, please send it their way. Until next week, take care, guys, and be hella well.